Lord, that is our desire, that you would be, that you would be pleased in the lives that we live for you. Lord, we know that, that that is only possible by allowing ourselves to be filled with your Spirit, to be guided and directed by you and your, and your Word. Lord, we thank you for giving us your Word, for inviting us into this, into this relationship and your desire to continually change us and, and mold us and shape us more and more into your image. Lord, that's why we're, we're here tonight, in the middle of a, of a busy week, things going on, schedules to keep. Lord, we set this, side, this time aside tonight to hear from you. And Lord, our desire is to be changed, so have your way here. Lord, all of us long for that day when we stand before you and we hear those words, well done. It truly is our desire, Lord, to live well for you. Have your way here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Take out your Bibles, please, and open them up. As Pat said, the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2. A couple of weeks ago when we began our study in Ruth, we, we talked about the fact that this story that we have here uh, before us that we're studying through is not chronologically happening at the end of the time of the judges. As a matter of fact, as we'll see uh, in a little bit here, this particular story of Ruth happens more towards the front end of the time of the Judges. The time, as we talked so often as we studied through the book of Judges, the time when the people did what was right in their own eyes. They turned their back on God. They, they, they chased after their own desires and their own passions and ignored what God had called them to do, only to fall into the hands of their enemies, cry out to God, and God rescue them, and, and that cycle that we saw going over and over and over again. And this bright spot, this story that happens in the midst of that darkness is such a beautiful story as we began to see last time and we continue to see it unfolding for us tonight. We saw last time as we introduced real quickly uh, uh, a man and his wife Naomi, they had two sons, there was a famine in the land and they left the land and they went, they went away into Moab and, and there the, the father died and the two sons died and all that's left is now Naomi, the mom, and her two now daughters-in-law. They go back to the town that they had come from, from Bethlehem. Uh, Naomi's sister-in-law decides to stay back, or I'm sorry, Naomi's t two daughters-in-law, Ruth and the other, the, the one decides to stay back. Ruth now comes with Naomi back to Naomi's hometown. We left it off there at the end of, of the chapter, chapter one, verse 22 says, so Naomi returned with her, with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Chapter 2, now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a relative of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Here we're introduced to this man named Boaz, one who did not leave. Living in the same place as Elimelech and, and his family, when they left, he stayed back. Now it's interesting, this word that is used to describe here, a man of great wealth, very possibly could mean that, wealth. 
as far as a, a very financially successful man. But it's interesting, this is the same word that is used back in chapter 6, verse 12, to describe someone we talked about several weeks ago in Gideon. Remember Gideon? The story of Gideon when the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, he said it called him a man of valor. That is the same word that is used here. And we know that Gideon wasn't a man of great wealth, but God calling it to him there. So possibly, and we're going to see, Boaz obviously owns fields and other things like that, but this word describes far more of his character than just him as a wealthy man. He's a strong man. He's uh, efficient. He's got, he's got great ability and probably very, high, very well thought of in the community as well, as we're going to see as this story unfolds for us. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in, the, in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So here Ruth, the Moabitess, goes to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and said, let me go out into the fields and glean. Now this, if you were with us as we've been studying back before, this gleaning is a process that God commanded of all of the, the crop owners that they don't go back through and clean up and dust up and get every grain of, of wheat or barley or whatever it is in their fields or the grapes that are on the vines, but they actually leave some behind as they go through and they harvest for those that are, that are less fortunate, for the poor. As a matter of fact, back in Leviticus, Chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, the Lord saying here, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard, so that you will leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. God providing for the widows and the orphans, those that are even strangers in the land. And we know that, that Ruth fits this character, several of these characteristics. She's a widow. She, she has, no, has no money. She's a, she's a foreigner in the land. God says also in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien. Again, those that are not from your own land, for the orphan, for the widow, in the order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So even if you leave a whole, whole bunch of it out there and you forgot it when you went, you're not to go back out and get it. You're to leave that there. So Naomi obviously knows of this growing up in here, but Ruth now, aware of this custom as well, said, let me go out. Let me go out into the fields and glean because they, they, they have no one to provide for them. Ruth, on her own initiative, says this to Naomi, let me go and do this. She steps out, not, not sitting back, not, not feeling sorry for herself, not going out and begging in the streets, but actually going out to do something. There's a, a Latin proverb that says, providence assists not the idle, I-D-L-E. Providence, the, the providential hand of God moving and, and, and coming alongside those that step out in faith as Ruth now does here. Naomi gives her her blessing, go ahead. Verse three, so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, <laughs> I like that she happened to come uh, if you have the King James Version, it says, she chanced, chanced or, or I'm sorry, her chance chanced upon her. 
That's kind of the literal translation of that. Her chance chanced upon her. Guys, when it comes to God, there is no such thing as chance. There is no such thing as luck. As a matter of fact, that word should be stricken from our vocabulary as Christians. There is no such thing as, as luck or, or chance. And if there is chance, that, that, like it says here, your chance chances upon you as we move forward because God is a providential God, the providential hand of God on this. She happened to come of all of the fields to the field belonging to Boaz. Now we're going to see as the story unfolds. Anybody read ahead, by the way? Anybody know how this whole story ends? Anybody not know how the story ends? Okay, I'm going to ruin it for you right now. Sorry. <laughs> Ruth and Boaz get married at the end of the story. I'm sorry. I know. Ruining the movie before we get there. But the point I want to make it in, that, in that point, and spoiling it for you who don't know the end of the story, is neither one of them set out this day to get married. Ruth didn't say to Naomi, I'm going to go today and I'm going to start gleaning out in the fields and I'm going to find me a husband. <laughs> Not what happened. Boaz shows up today as we see in the verse 4 he comes and he says hi to the workers as he always says, may the Lord bless you. And that day he had no idea the, what was going to happen that day and then what was subsequently going to happen as it went along. You know who did? God did. God lined up all of these things to happen. The providential hand of God moving in the lives of Ruth and of Boaz and even of Naomi through this whole process as we will see. God's providential hand. Right place, right time. They're both where they're supposed to be at that time. I, I, I get asked all the time about how, how I met my wife. And I'll give you the abbreviated story, but I, I, I worked for a company at the time, a financial company in El Paso, Texas. I got transferred down there with my company, and, and I, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was find, uh, find a wife. That's not why I went there. I went to El Paso to do a job and get transferred out. I made that perfectly clear to my boss, everybody, when I went there. Well, on the Fridays, occasionally, there was this little buffet restaurant that was right down the street from my office and I'd go there on Fridays and I'd bring the sports page and I'd just bury my face in the sports page and eat my lunch. Well this particular Friday one of the waitresses came up to me and said do you uh are you married? I said no. She said um do you have a girlfriend or anything? I said no. And she said well my friend would like to talk to you. And I said okay. So all of a sudden, then, a couple minutes later, Christina comes up to me, and I was like, wow, <laughs> hey, where have you been my whole life? No, I didn't say it, but um, <laughs> she, she said, she comes up to me, and she has this really awkward look on her face, and I was kind of like waiting for her to say something, and she's like waiting for me to say something, and she finally said, my friend said you wanted to talk to me? <laughs> I said, if that was your friend, she said you wanted to talk to me, and well, Long story short, five, you know, about 25 minutes later after she had to kind of run to a couple other tables and come back to mine and everything like that, I, uh, I ended up asking her for her phone number so that we could maybe go out and have dinner sometime. One thing I left out at the beginning of the story that kind of shows, again, God's providential hand, this is the last time I would have ever gone into that restaurant. That day, we closed my office and moved all of the receivables and everything on the other side of El Paso. I would have never gone in that restaurant again. She had, she and her, I would go in there, like I said, every Friday, I paid no attention to anybody, but she was paying attention to me, 
And she would tell her friend all the time, there he is, there he is, let me have his table, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Well, she had, she was, there's no way she, if, if you know my wife, there's no way she would come up to a total stranger like me and start that conversation. Coincidence, right? Chance, right? No. I mean, that's God's providential hand. I, I didn't go to the restaurant that day to find a wife, and she didn't go to work that day to find a husband, but God knew, and God was working in that plan all along. God's providential hand is at work in our lives all the time. Just because we don't see it at the time, again, we're going to see as we go through this story, again, we know the end of the story. Well, now you do, even those that you didn't know, now you do, but... <laughs> The, they didn't. And that day when I left the restaurant with her phone number, she didn't even think I'd ever call her, and I have, have, almost didn't either. I mean, I just, but God knew. God knew, and his providential hand moving in so many different... And we could probably go around and talk stories as to all how God does that continually. Oftentimes, we don't know about it till we can look back at it now and say, man, God was at work there. And we don't see it when it's happening at the time. But God is always, always at work in our lives. <laughs> she just happened to come to Boaz's field of all of the fields that were there. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, he just happened to show up that day. May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could all say that? When, I can. <laughs> but if all you could just say that when you walked into work every day. And just, you know, but even though if your job forbids you from saying that out loud, you can say it just by the way you are and the way that you act and the, and the way that you interact with everyone. And just God bless you should just pour out of us no matter where we are. Then, verse 5, Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? As he notices Ruth out there gleaning in the fields, catches his eye. The servant in charge of the reapers replied, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. So she comes out and she, first of all, she, she didn't need to ask that was, that was her right as a foreigner, as a, as a widow, to be able to just go out there. But she asked, and she said, can I, do, can I please do this? And that kind of caught his attention, was watching her the rest of the time, seeing how she's working and the different things she's doing. Guys, we make point of this a lot, but we are being watched as Christians people that know us in, in, in your workplace and in your neighborhood and, and when you go to the grocery store wearing the cross around your neck or whatever that might be, we're being watched and, and we need to continually represent Christ well in all of the situations that we're in. Here she's out working hard and it's, and it's being noticed. Verse eight, then Boaz said to Ruth, he comes up to her and speaks to her, listen carefully my daughter, do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. 
here Boaz now approaches her, and if you can, uh, can probably only imagine her being, what, coming to me and speaking to me, but not only just a welcome, but look at how he lays out the, this kindness to her. He's, he offers her protection. Nobody's going to bother you. None of the, none of the servants are going to bother you. Offers her refreshment. If you're thirsty, go, dr- go get a drink from where the servants drink. He offers her companionship. Hang out with the, the other maidens, my servants that are here. Showing great kindness to, to her, knowing her need. He understood now that she is the one, and we'll find out later. He knew of her, just now knows that's her, and knows her situation, that she's a widow, that she's poor, that she's come back from this tragic situation where her, her husband has died, her father-in-law has died, and they've come back here showing kindness to her with nothing to gain from it. Again, he's not plotting this out. He doesn't know where this is all going to go. He's just out of the kindness of his heart going way above and beyond what was mandated and commanded. And again, that should always be our heart, not to do, to seek to do what is the least that God would require of us in his word, but to go above and beyond because we have been so blessed. Showing hospitality to, to people around us, being kind to those in need. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says something interesting. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. In chapter 18 of Genesis, we see the story of, of Abraham. And as, two, as three strangers were approaching him, it tells us that it was in the heat of the day. And Abraham is a great example again to us as to how to show hospitality. In that situation, he could have said, you know what, I will because it's by law I'm supposed to show hospitality if they come over here and ask. You know, so I'm just going to sit here in the shade and if they need something, they'll come and ask. And if they ask, I'll, I'll give it to them. But it, that's not what Abraham did. He saw them coming, knew they must have been hot and thirsty. It was a hot day. He jumps up, runs out to meet them finds out later as he invites them over to have them sit in the shade and and brings them a meal and and refreshment. We find out in the story that it's none other than a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus himself and two angels. (laughs) Now, chances are that's not going to happen to us tomorrow. But And we could say, well, if Jesus would show up tomorrow, I'd certainly do the same thing. But you know what Jesus said? He said this, and we know the verse. Matthew, I believe it's chapter 25, he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I, was, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to see me. And they're like, when did we do that, Lord? He said, whenever you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. So you want to show that kind of hospitality, that kind of love to Jesus, find the person least worthy of it and do it to them. Find, go in and seek out someone in desperate need and bless them with what you have. I, the, the one part in that, uh, that Hebrews verse, it says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. You know, again, we talked about this in our study and and the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, "You're, you're to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you were in that same situation, you gotta, we have, well, I'm not in prison. Well, what if you were? What would you want somebody to do for you? 
come and visit you. If you were hungry, what would you want somebody to do? Give you food. And in so doing, Jesus says, when we do that for anyone else, we do it as though we were doing it for him. But what a great example, even as we see here in Boaz with that, going way above and beyond for Ruth. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know? May the Lord reward your work and your wages. Be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. I, I, she's, she's like blown away at, at how gracious he is to her. And she's like, why in the world would you do that for me? And then he says, you know, I've heard all about this of what you've done. Again, the story has already come. Now he's been able to match up the person with what he has heard. And I, I like this because we don't get very many examples of good gossip, do we? <laughs> but that's what's going on here. People are gossiping about Ruth, but it's good gossip. They're saying, man, you won't believe what this Moabite woman has done for Naomi, that she would walk away from everything that she had and follow and take care of her and walk away from her family and the, the godless society there and follow Yahweh now. And that word and that good gossip comes through. Totally little sideways here, but I, I heard this funny story on gossip. This uh, particular, he was uh, uh, an elder in a church and uh, he was going to do a visit for, for somebody at their job and he got there and there were, all the parking spaces were filled up up front. So he had to park several units down right in front of a bar. And then he walked in and did his visit, and then he left. And that, that Sunday, this particular church gossip lady came up and said, I saw where you were parked. That only means that you must have been in that bar, and da-da-da-da-da. And she starts spreading this rumor about him that he was in the bar. He didn't say anything to defend himself. But that night on the way home, he parked in front of her house and walked the rest of the way. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this story. I just heard it recently. I thought that was really funny. Good gossip, though. Good gossip. <laughs> that old teacher. All right, verse... Verse 12, he gives a, a, speaks a great blessing over her. He's encouraging her and blessing her. Verse 13, when she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. That word spoke kindly to your maidservant. Again, if you have a marginal Bible, notes in your margins, I, I always encourage you to read those. It says literally to the heart of your maidservant. You have spoken directly to my heart. Speak, and, and in that she said, and, and I'm not like your maidservants. You spoke directly to me and touched me deeply in my heart, but I'm not like your maidservants. Interesting little 
bit of information that interjects really neat right here. Not like one of his maidservants, but a whole lot like somebody else in his life. His mom. It tells us in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, who Boaz's mom is. Rahab. Remember Rahab? The prostitute from Jericho? The outsider who said, I will walk away from everything and I will follow your God. And became one, after, and she, her life and her family's life was spared. She knows and must and certainly relate all of those things to Boaz as he was growing up, what it must have been like to be somebody now who's been brought into the family and, and, and loved, but an outsider and, and all of those things. And he spoke to her heart, not because he understood it because of other people, but probably because he knew what it was like from his mom and, and seeing those things and speaking to her heart directly and touching her heart in such a special way with his actions and his words. You know, we're going to see a lot and we're going to get into this in chapters 3 and 4 a whole lot more about how Boaz is such a great picture of Jesus Christ and, and Ruth, that where we are a, is a picture, we're a picture, Ruth is a picture of us as the church. But one of those things with this too is the Lord Jesus speaks directly to our hearts right where we are. He can touch those spots in our lives like nobody else can. He understands what it is that we're going through, and not in a superficial way, but in a very real way. Because we know that, that and as the word tells us, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our situation. But we have one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. God became one of us. He lived a life among us. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. He knows what it's like to hurt and to lose someone close. He knows those feelings. He can sympathize with all of the situations that we go through. That's why he's the only one who can touch our hearts in that special way when we're going through those things. He understands. He's not a, he's not a God afar off. He's, he became one of us. Yes, so that he could die in our place and pay our penalty on the cross, but also so that he could relate to us, that he can understand, he can have that compassion on us like no one else. Well, verse 14. In the meantime, Boaz said to her, Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. Here, he doesn't stop again now at just saying, okay, we'll give you some protection. You can have some water if you need it. Hang out with my maidservants. He invites her to his very table. And again, I... <laughs> I can't help but get ahead of us a little bit. And, and like I said, we'll do a whole, look at this a whole lot more when we get into chapters three and four. But again, what a beautiful picture of what we are invited to at the table of our Lord. Isaiah 55, those favorite chapters. If you haven't read Isaiah 55 in a, in a while, do that tonight, be blessed. But it starts off verse one. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? 
Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Just like, just like Boaz says to, says to Ruth, come here, listen to me, come up to the table, delight yourself in abundance, he says. He, you know, she's satisfied and has some left over. Jesus says, eat what is good. Don't settle for the crumbs. Pull up to the table. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. We don't have to pick the scraps. We're called to come up to the table. Isaiah chapter 25 verse 6 refers to this as a banquet table full of amazing delicacies that we are called to come and enjoy. God's amazing blessings that he has for us. We, have, we look at our justification as one of those amazing blessings, obviously, but this speaking more of our, our sanctification, our, our growth as we, as we grow in the Lord and we understand these things and we walk in his ways. Delight ourselves in abundance. Feast on his word. Drink up his promises. Be filled with the Holy Spirit as the word tells us to do. We're told to pull up a chair and it says it's all free too. It's, all of this is free. It's, there's no extra cost for it. Never, anybody been on a cruise? Get to go on a cruise, that, that whole thing. There was a story that I had heard one time about this couple who, who saved up for years and years to finally get to go on this cruise. And they, they paid for the cruise, but they realized that they didn't have any, a whole lot of extra spending money left. So they pu- filled their suitcases secretly full of food and snacks and everything like that because they thought they'd have to pay for f- extra for the food on the cruise ship. So they sat in their room and ate snacks the whole time and missed out on all of the free food that's on the cruise ship because they didn't understand that that's all free too. <laughs> Our sanctification, the whole process is a, a, of us growing in the Lord, that's free too. That doesn't cost us anything. We're to eat to our heart's content. There's no limit. Just like on a cruise ship, you can eat and eat and eat and go back to your room, take a nap and come back and eat and eat and eat. You just keep on keeping on. But one difference between this, well, one of many, but one difference is God picks the menu. God picks what we eat because if we got to pick what we ate and and do that, we'd be like you do on a cruise ship. It's not a good cruise unless you gain 10 pounds, right? And that would be the problem. We just eat the stuff that we like and we just get all flabby and lazy. No, God picks the menu. But the amazing thing is the stuff that he picks that we go through, it's, it's amazing. Like on a, I, several years ago, I, many of you probably don't know, but if you haven't known me for a while, but about five years ago, I weighed close to 320 pounds. And I needed to go on a diet. And I needed to lose some weight. And I, so I started eating a whole lot more healthy. And, and during that process, I started eating stuff that before I would have never put in my mouth. No way would I eat Brussels sprouts or, you know, all of this other kind of stuff. I love it. It's awesome. It's great stuff that I would have never eaten before, except I was forced to now that I'm on this diet. See, that's that's some of the times we look at this and say, God, God, you're forcing me to to eat this. and, And then, you you know, that's not so bad. It's actually pretty good. And the benefits from that as we grow in this Focusing on him, focusing completely on him. You notice in our, in our story here, as we are going to continue on here, notice Ruth hasn't brought up one time 
her situation. She hasn't brought it up. Boaz has brought up what he's heard about her, but she isn't complaining. She's not focused on the situation. What's she focused on? Boaz <laughs> and, and the promises that he's making. You know, the same is true with us. If we take our, our focus and attention off of the stuff that's around us and the difficulties that we're going, and we focus on Jesus, and we focus on the promises that he makes, all of a sudden, just like it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. All of that other stuff just fades away. I saw this poem. It says, look at yourself and be distressed. Look at others and be depressed. But look at Jesus and you'll be blessed. Focusing on him. And again, all of this other stuff just goes away. Interesting thing, though, just finish my little segue on a buffet. <laughs> Similarity with that and, again, the abundance that we have in Christ and what we are to come in and do. Eating is... Eating does us no good. The, the, all of this does us no good if we don't eat it. I mean, if, 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 if Ruth would have pulled up to the table here and sat and looked at Boaz and not eaten anything on the table, it wouldn't have done her any good. Same is true with us and the word of God and, and all of the promises that we have. Eating involves a few steps. First of all, it involves chewing. <laughs> we need to be reading the word of God. We need to be highlighting the Word of God, taking notes. If it, some people think that, man, I can't, I can't write in my Bible. And I, I'm not going to say you, you know, you're, you're wrong in that, but you can. You, you can. As a matter of fact, I encourage it. If the Lord is speaking to you on something, and, and, and while you're doing your daily devotions, jot that in the margin. Highlight verses. I, I, I do that, and, and I've done that for, for years, and I have several Bibles now as I've, I kind of go through, and then I'll finish, and I'll start over with another. Go back to one 10 years ago that I was doing that in and reading, well, man, God was really what he was working on in me in certain areas and stuff like that. I, I would really encourage you to do that. It's part, of, it's part of chewing on the Word of God. But then we need to swallow it. We need to internalize it. We need to take it into ourselves. It can't just be something that we that we just kind of gloss over in the morning, something that we go through in a checklist. We have, to, we have to swallow it. But then swallowing, the next part is digesting it. It has to become part of us. That digestion process after you eat something that, and, it, and it becomes into, get, goes into our bloodstream. And the one thing about that that's really awesome is once it's digested, it can never be taken away from you. Saeed, Pastor Saeed, in Iran, in prison, they might think they've taken the word of God away from him, but I guarantee you they haven't. That, that man's got the word of God, the word of God in his heart. It's got the, he's got the word of God pumping through his veins. I, 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 know, I know that for hours a day he's meditating on the word of God that he had internalized and digested. You can, you can take away my house, you can take away my truck, you can take away a lot of things, but one thing you can't take away is last night's dinner. That's mine. <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that's not coming out. And the word of God is the same way as we digest it. But then also, repetition. We don't eat just once. We can't just do that just once. It's a, it's a process. But again, as we do, and we delight ourselves in the word of God, we are blessed and uh, blessed abundantly. And she said, says here in verse 14, she had some left over. But when she rose to glean, verse 15, 
She got back up now after lunch. Boaz commanded his servants, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. So she doesn't just have to go out to the corners. Let her glean in where the sheaves are already, are, are still standing. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So what they're saying is now they're taking the grain off of the stalks by the handful and kind of looking and making sure she's not looking and dropping it behind them so that she, as she's coming through, she's like, it's right there. It's, I mean, it's these, these blessings that are, that are just right here along the way. They didn't want, didn't want her to feel like she's getting a handout, that they're just dumping it on her, but they're by the handful, purpose, purposeful handfuls, and they're just dropping it as they're, as they're going along. Purposely, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain. You know that God loves you on purpose. He purposely loves you. Through, throughout the day, he knows what you need. And there's those little handfuls of purpose along the way. Sometimes they might not seem like, like a, a huge thing. They might be just, just little things. But he knows what you need, and, and he doesn't put them in places that we have to hunt for them. They're right in front of us if we'll just look. And again, just like what we had talked about before, his providential hand, sometimes during the day as we're just seeing that and noticing that, and we get to the end of the day and we look and we say, man, I got a bushel full. Just picking them up a little bit along the way. And if we recognize that again, God's providential hand in our lives and the fact that he loves us purposely, purposefully throughout the day, and we are cognizant of that and praising him throughout the day. Like I said, it's amazing at the end of the day, we'll see just how much he has poured out to us. So she gleaned in the field until evening, verse 17. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was an ephah of barley. So she she breaks it all down to where she's got just the, the barley that's left, getting rid of all of the other stuff, and she's got, she's got a whole bag full. It's the, she's got enough for her and Naomi to eat for a week and eat well, and that's what she's taken home after just one day there. So she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, she also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. So she said, here's what's left over from lunch. I couldn't even finish it. And so she gave her what was left over. And again, the blessings that God pours out on us as we pour those out then and share those with those others around him. She was satisfied and then passes it on to Naomi. And she is as well. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice on you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. <laughs> Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. It's amazing how this one turn of events totally changed Naomi Remember last time, Naomi, our last conversation we saw of her at the end of the last chapter? Don't call me blessed, call me bitter. Because God has just turned his back on me and he's pouring out his, you know, God hates me. Now she's like, man, God loves me. Look at what God is doing. 
Boaz. She's like, can you imagine how that just, all of a sudden, again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Now that word there, closest relatives, is the Hebrew word goel. And we are going to spend next time in chapters three and four talking about that. But that's again that beautiful picture, the kinsman redeemer. And, and how, again, Boaz, that picture of, of Christ as our kinsman redeemer. But like I said, we'll get to that. Spend more time in that when we get to chapters three and four. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, furthermore, he said to me, you shall stay close to my servants until they have finished all of my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the end of the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, the, we saw at the beginning or the end of chapter where we started, chapter one where we started tonight, it was the beginning of the barley harvest. That ran for a couple of months, and then the wheat harvest after that. So for, for weeks upon weeks upon months, she's continuing to go back to the field and, and glean under the protection of Boaz, the promise of Boaz for the, the, the water and the companionship and the blessing that comes from there. And again, the amazing hope that she has because of this man, Boaz, and the promises that he's made. And we have the cr- tremendous hope that we have. And again, not that we talk of biblical hope. It's not that, man, I really wish this happens. No, that's the hope, the absolute assurance we have because of the man, the God-man, Jesus, and his promises to us. Well, that's where we're going to stop. Chapters 3 and 4 really go hand in hand together, so we'll get to that next time in the picture of our kinsman redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful story that you've given to us in the story of Ruth and Boaz. Lord, we, we thank you for the the picture that it is for us of this, this light in a, in a dark, dark time, in a dark, dark place. And Lord, in that, again, we are always challenged in that, that we are the light of the world in a very dark time, in a very dark place. Lord, it is our desire that we would reflect you, we would represent you well. Lord, that we would show compassion to those who are hurting that we would understand, even those that are around us that don't know you, that are walking away from you, Lord, that we would have compassion on them because it's only by your grace we're not like they are. And so, Lord, we would ask that in that process, as we extend your love and your grace to them, that you would soften hearts and do a work in lives. Lord, again, we thank you for the amazing abundance that we have in our relationship with you. Yes, by your blood we are saved and we have eternal life. But Lord, your desire is for us to have life and have it abundantly now and eternally. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to to see how you leave your handfuls of purpose, how your, your blessings along the way that we would learn to anticipate and, and expect your providential hand to move on our behalf. Or that we would grow in our understanding of you, our, our love and our trust in you. Or that you would be pleased and honored in that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.